You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hello, today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that same city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? This is the word of the Lord. How do you go sticking at things for the long haul? I'm talking about persistence, sticking at things for a long time, even when it's hard going. We're experiencing that at the moment, aren't we? As lockdown rolls on, and apparently this week Melbourne became the most locked down city in the world. Our days in lockdown have been longer than anywhere else. And persisting with that, keeping on going, doing the right thing is really hard work when it goes on and on. And I'm recording this talk today halfway through 14 days of quarantine because I've been a close contact of a COVID case. And staying at home, not being able to leave, not being able to go for a run and all of that stuff is hard work, but we need to persist to do the right thing so that this virus doesn't spread. Persistence is hard going. How do you go persisting in prayer? praying for things that maybe you've been praying for for years or even decades, and it feels like you're not getting answers to those prayers. How do you go sticking at it and keeping praying for those things? Maybe you're praying for a family member, one of your children, or your parent, or a grandchild, a friend, who you are longing that they would come to know the life that comes through a relationship with Jesus. And yet they seem resistant to turn to him, to receive him, to accept him as their Lord in their life. How do you go persisting in your prayers for them over the long haul? What's God doing in these situations? Why is it that he's not answering these prayers? Well, today's passage is about persistence in prayer. It's about always praying and never giving up. This is the third in the series that we're doing on prayer called Lord, Teach Us to Pray, where we're looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer from the book of Luke and seeing what he teaches us there. 
If you missed the two previous talks in the series, they're available on our YouTube channel or on our podcast, and it'd be great to catch up and to hear those prayers about praying boldly and about simple prayer using the Lord's Prayer. But today's passage is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. So grab your Bible or your phone so that you've got the passage in front of you so that we can look at this together. Now, sometimes when Jesus tells a story, it's hard to work out what the meaning of the story is. We have to wrestle with it to work out what this is all about. But it's very simple here because in the very first verse of this passage, we're told what the purpose of the story is. Verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that is going to be the point of what we learn today. That's going to be the challenge for us to always pray and not to give up. And I guess the key question is, how can we do this? How can we persist? And especially when it feels like God is not answering our prayers and it feels like we're hitting our heads against the wall. Now, the story is a very simple one. There's just two characters. There's a judge and there's a widow. And first off, we meet the judge in verse 2. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Now, judges are powerful people. They make decisions and people have to follow the decisions that they make. That was the same in Jesus' time as it is in our time. They get to determine what is right and what is wrong. And their key job is to give just decisions to determine justice for people so that people are treated fairly and well. The trouble is, this judge is not like that. Down in verse 6 of our passage, Jesus even describes him as an unjust judge. You know, you had one job to do, to bring justice, and yet you are unjust yourself. And the reason that this guy is unjust, we're told, is that he doesn't fear God, he doesn't respect God as God, and he doesn't care about people either. Now, it's interesting, in our culture, we see those things potentially as virtues of people. Um, lots of people don't believe that God actually exists, so not fearing God is a good thing. That way you get to determine what is right from wrong without regard to God. And not caring what other people think, as it says here, is seen as showing independence of mind, mind and being your own person. But in the Bible, both of these things are treated as negatives. In the book of Proverbs and in Psalms, if a person doesn't fear God, we're told that they're a fool. And since we're made as relational beings, we're designed for community and to interact with other people, then we better pay attention to what other people think in a positive way. In fact, Jesus gives two commandments. He tells us to love God and to love our neighbour. And yet it seems like this judge is not interested in doing either of those things. Then there's the widow. Now, the widow is a direct contrast to the judge. If judges are powerful people, then a widow is the epitome, epitome of vulnerability and powerlessness. 
especially in a society which didn't have any social security, which was very patriarchal, so women had very few rights. Widows were usually poor and very vulnerable, and they were reliant on powerful people like judges to ensure that they got treated fairly and that other people didn't take advantage of them. Now, we don't know much about this widow's character, but what we do know is that she is persistent. Verse 3. The widow kept coming to him, the judge, with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. The judge, unfortunately, is not responsive to her, and he just keeps on ignoring her. But she won't give up. She keeps turning up. She keeps asking, she keeps pleading, she keeps saying to him day after day, give me justice. So what does this lousy, self-interested, unjust judge do? He gives her justice. Not because he's a good guy, he's not. Because she keeps on bothering him, he gives her what she wants. And because it seems he's a little bit fearful that if he doesn't, she might come and give him a black eye. That's the literal translation of attack me in verse 5. Clearly, she's a pretty feisty widow. So what's the point here of Jesus' story? Well, remember again that Jesus told this story to show us that we should always pray and not give up. So let's be clear about one thing. First off, Jesus is not saying that God is like the judge. He's not saying that if you keep on hassling God, eventually he'll give in and he'll give you your requests. That you need to wear down God, or even that God is somehow reluctant or unwilling to grant our requests as we bring them to him. Now, Jesus' point is the opposite of that. Jesus is saying, God is nothing like the judge. If even an unjust and disinterested judge will act on persistent requests, how much more will a good and loving God listen to our prayers and give us what is good for us? God is not like the judge. The judge is unjust but God is a God of justice. The, the judge doesn't fear God, but God is God. He is worthy of awe and respect. The judge doesn't care about people, but God cares deeply about his world and the people that he has made. So when we bring our requests to God, we should hope and we should expect that he is willing to hear us when we pray, and we should be confident that he is able to do something about the requests that we bring to him. So put out of your mind the idea that the God is somehow this, this grumpy and disinterested judge. He's not. He's passionately engaged with his world. He wants to work for our good because he loves us, and he's even more willing to hear our prayers than we are even to pray them. Now, the other thing that we should note here is that the focus of the prayers are prayers for justice. The word justice comes up here 
five times in just these eight verses. Now, we better pay attention when there's that sort of hit rate in a passage. So the widow wants justice from the judge. And when Jesus applies the passage down in verse 7, he says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? So while I think, yep, we can apply this passage more broadly about the different type of prayer requests that we bring to God, it's, its laser focus in this passage is on justice and on followers of Jesus, his chosen ones, who are being mistreated and abused, who are being denied justice and are suffering, and who are crying out to God day and night, so bad is their situation. Now, that's the reality, isn't it, for many Christians around the world as we speak. In Afghanistan, in North Korea, in Somalia and in Pakistan, brothers and sisters of ours, brothers and sisters in Christ who are crying to God for justice, who are suffering and they want it to stop and they want God to answer their prayers. And we should be joining our prayers with them, praying for justice for them and that God would have mercy and ease the suffering that they're experiencing. We should be bringing them before a God who is just and who is powerful and who is loving praying that God would have mercy on them, that he'd bring justice and he'd do it quickly, that God would turn their weeping into joy. That is our hope as we pray to a God of justice. But see, that's where the problem lies, isn't it? In verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Sorry, Jesus, did you just say quickly? I, I, I thought he said quickly. Quickly? When there's so much injustice in the world, where Christians are being killed day by day, when cries to God go unanswered, how can we take you seriously, Jesus, when you say that this will be quick? I mean, if God is a God of justice, why doesn't he do something now? Now, the word quickly can mean two things. It can mean suddenly, that when God acts, it'll happen quickly. And Jesus often emphasizes that his coming back to restore justice will catch people off guard and by surprise, that we don't know when it is, but when it happens, it'll be decisive and unambiguous and knees will bow to Jesus and he'll put things to rights. The word quickly can also mean soon, and Jesus does imply that as well. But after 2,000 years of waiting, after innumerable injustices and seemingly unanswered prayers, we really struggle to believe that it is coming soon, if it's coming at all. But God is very clear that the way that he will bring justice, the way that he will answer those cries in the night, is through the return of Jesus. In verse 8 in our passage, it says, when the Son of Man comes. The Son of Man is the way that Jesus often refers to himself, and here it points to his promised return. 
Christians have been waiting for 2,000 years for this to happen. We're still waiting for it to happen. And it is tempting, isn't it, to become disheartened and to give up. It's tempting to think justice will never happen. Which is why Jesus includes in that same verse, verse 8, the warning to keep the faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I've been really helped by the passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 as I've wrestled with this seeming delay and not acting quickly on the part of God. In that passage, Peter actually refers to people who make fun of Christians and say, you know, when is this coming that Jesus has promised? It looks like the world just goes on day after day. How can you believe that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to change things? And so this is how Peter puts it in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now that's helpful for two reasons. Firstly, it reminds us that God's timing is not our timing. A thousand years is a really long time for us humans and in a human time frame. But for God, it's the blink of an eye. God has a different perspective on things. And so while we think to ourselves, why is this taking so long? We do have to remember that God is playing the long game and we need to trust him in that, even though it's not easy. And secondly, we need to remember that God's motivations go beyond our motivations, and God's motivation primarily is love. We're reminded here of the patience of God and of his desire that people who are currently out of relationship with him, people who are acting unjustly, people who don't fear God or even acknowledge his presence, people who don't care about other people, people even who are active persecutors of God's people, God still loves them and God wants them to come to repentance. That is that they do a U-turn and turn away from their destructive behaviour and turn back to God and receive the forgiveness that he offers to them. Perhaps you, like me, have been praying for the nation of Afghanistan a lot at the moment with the Taliban returning to power, with the rights of women being stripped away and people being killed off, as has happened whenever the Taliban have held power in that country. And so we, we pray. We pray for justice. We pray for mercy. We pray for God's protection to be given to the vulnerable and persecuted. And we pray that God would stop what is happening as the Taliban persecute people. And if I'm honest, you know, what I want God to do is to swoop in and to, to smash up the bad guys uh, like in one of those movies. And yet this week I've read the story of a man called Abbas who formerly was an executioner with the Taliban. 
who killed off many, many people in his role within the Taliban, and who's now living in Iran. Now, Abbas wasn't able to sleep at all. He was having terrible nightmares related to the things that he'd done in his life, terrible things. And he connected up with some Christians to ask them about Jesus, and particularly to ask them about how Jesus could possibly love and accept him given the terrible things that he had done. And so they spoke with him and they encouraged him to read the Bible, to read about Jesus. The first night he opened the Bible and he read a passage, and that night he slept soundly. He thought to himself, maybe there's a bit more to this. I'll keep exploring, keep the conversations going, keep learning. And over time, through relationship with those Christians and reading the Bible, he discovered in Jesus that he, even he, could receive God's grace and forgiveness. That through what Jesus had done through his death and resurrection, that he could be forgiven by God and have a relationship with him. And so he put his trust in Jesus. He repented. He turned away from what he had done and his former life and sought forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. And now he sleeps soundly, secure in the grace of Jesus. Here's a guy who persecuted Christians in the past. Here's a guy who deserved justice and punishment for what he had done. Here's a guy that I probably would have swooped in and said, give him judgment now, but God's patience and delay gave him time to turn back to God and to receive mercy and forgiveness. And you see, that's God's desire, isn't it? God wants relationship with people. He wants to come into relationship with people who are out of relationship with him, but he also wants to deepen his relationship with you and I if we're already in relationship with him, which again is why we need to persist in our prayers. When our prayers don't get answered the way that we want them to or in the timing that we want them to, we need to be prepared to go back to God and to wrestle with him and persist with him in our prayers. To say to God, God, I I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But I do trust you. What is going on? Help me to keep on praying. Help me not to give up. Help me to fix my eyes on Jesus and keep trusting him and looking for his coming. And it's in this persistence, isn't it, that God often deepens our faith and he shapes our character as well. A mate of mine got very, very sick and ended up basically having to lie in bed for an entire year. He could do very little else other than lie there. And he prayed to be healed and we prayed for him to be healed. And it felt like God wasn't answering that prayer. We couldn't understand what was going on. He was a follower of Jesus. He had a fruitful music career ahead of him. And all of that was put aside as he lay sick in bed with prayers unanswered. And yet, over that time, God deepened his relationship with him. 
God deepened his trust and God formed his character to the point that now looking back at it, he is thankful in hindsight for the experience that he had because of how deep his relationship with God grew at that time. Now, that, that story is by no means an isolated incident. I've got other friends, people in this church that I know who have had the same sort of experience with God. When we pray, we do often want a quick fix and an instant answer. But that isn't always the way that God works. Persistence in prayer doesn't mean just repeating the same prayer over and over again, you know, like a kid in the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Remember that prayer is about relationship and persisting in prayer is not just a mechanical repetition, but it's actually a, resting, a wrestling with God in persistent prayer. When our prayers aren't answered, it's about going back to God and wrestling with him and raging with him about it. God, why am I suffering? Why are they suffering? What is going on here? Why aren't you responding? God, I don't understand what your plans are in this situation. God, I don't really understand what you're doing. Can you show me what you're doing in me and in this situation and why it is that I'm getting a no when I want a yes? God, what good are you possibly bringing out of this situation? Prayer, again, is about relationship, and relationship involves this sort of storming and wrestling and questioning and learning and deepening. And it's exactly like that as we persist in prayer with God. It's often in the wrestling and the difficulty that God deepens our trust in him, that he builds our character and our godliness in a, in a profound way that the, the normal parts of life often don't do. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy at all. It isn't. But it's an encouragement to keep on persisting, to keep on going, to not give up. Remembering that God's motivation is love and that he will bring good things out of pain and out of difficulty. Prayer is about relationship with God. And persisting in prayer is about deepening our relationship with God. It's a wrestling in the midst of pain and uncertainty and difficulty. So we're encouraged to always pray and never give up. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.